Hi there, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast, which is brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, I'm Ali Maxwell, with me, Michael Cox. Michael, uh, what have you been writing about this week on The Athletic site? Well, we finally had uh, an opportunity to talk about this season with the uh, imminent return of the Bundesliga, so I've been doing a little bit of that. Uh, Also continuing the series, looking back at past great performances, so I'm... uh, uh, yeah, just about to watch David Beckham's famous display against Greece later this afternoon. But yeah, mainly looking forward to the return of some live football. And thanks to the flexibility of the ZM pod. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about 90s Italian football. Sometimes we'll talk about uh, clubs from history or players from history. But we're also able to be topical as well. So what are we talking about this week? Well, we are, of course, talking about the return of the Bundesliga. And uh, Rafael Honigstein, who has his very own uh, podcast on the athletic network is here to join us and uh, fill in the gaps of what we don't know about absolutely we had to get the athletics german football meister rafa honigstein on the podcast uh, the first major european league to return uh, rafa how would you sum up your personal feelings about its return i know you've been very busy this week providing coverage both on the site and on the Stylecast podcast i'm interested to know uh, if you would share how you're feeling personally about the return of German football. Well, I am I am happy that it returns for, for purely selfish reasons, because if you're a football writer without football, it, it does pose some existentialist questions, which are uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and I think it, it, the longer this goes on, the more you're thinking, you know, what what am I really doing? So I'm, I'm really happy that uh, even though this would be football in a very imperfect guise and not quite the real thing, uh, without the fans, without the atmosphere that we are accustomed to, we will still be able to watch some of the best players in the world actually doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is to play football. So I cannot deny, uh, despite all misgivings and the, the optics and all the sort of issues that might surround this return, I will probably be as crazy enough as mo- uh, many people and just tune in and enjoy watching it. There's a lot of people that will, will share that sentiment. Of course, you have been hard at work being a football writer and previewing its return and all the topics surrounding it. Uh, you've done that on the athletic site, of course, and you have your own special Bundesliga return promo code uh, for anyone who does not subscribe to The Athletic but would like to read the writing of Rafa Honigstein, of Michael Cox and a whole host of other excellent football writers and of course US sports as well. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash Bundesliga's back will get you 40% off your annual subscription. That is theathletic.co.uk forward slash Bundesliga's back. Uh, And as mentioned, plenty of chat on the Stylecast podcast about the probably the wider topics and questions. Uh, We are going to focus on the teams, the players, the managers and the tactics. But I think we should touch on the many questions about the return of the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga Zwei. Rafa, every country has had different experiences, uh, different successes or otherwise with the coronavirus. The eyes of football fans across the world are on German football this weekend. Will the restart go swimmingly, do you think? What are the main concerns about whether this is a huge risk or whether it's the right time? Well, I think it's already fair to say that it hasn't gone swimmingly because one of the teams of Bundesliga 2 are not going to be involved. Uh, Dynamo Dresden, uh, bottom of Bundesliga 2, had two positive tests um, earlier this week and therefore have been sent down to 14-day quarantine so they can't play their first two games. Who knows if they can play their third game because, of course, they'll come back um, having not been able to train 
properly as a team for two weeks. And uh, there is a real fear and a, a risk that is, um, well, difficult to quantify, but it's it's more than zero, that uh, we will see more teams being affected in a similar way. Uh, things are slightly complicated in Germany because the local health authorities have to make the decision. So we could see a scenario where one team has a positive test, but they can continue to play uh, and only the player himself will be isolated or the staff member, whereas other teams might actually have to do what uh, Dresden are doing now and um, recuse themselves. And of course, if we see too many of these situations, if the fixture list becomes too... Um, filled with gaps and, and, and the problems of, of completing that will, will overwhelm the league, then we're in a situation where uh, they might just have to stop things and, and decide on the outcome without having the games uh, being concluded. Yeah, there's plenty of different uh, queries, question marks around its return uh, on, on all topics, really. Uh, more context on that, on the Stylecast podcast this week, uh, the Athletics German football podcast, which features Rafa, which features Kevin Hatchard and, and Christoph Biermann as well uh, this week. Michael, uh, could I ask you to catch us up with the footballing situation in the Bundesliga at the point of, of restart? We've got Bayern Munich top of the league. That might seem obvious, but in December, when they'd only won seven of their first 14 league games, their status as champions certainly seemed under threat. What, what changed there for Bayern? Yeah, I mean, that's been the major story of the season, I guess, in terms of what has changed at the top. Yeah, Niko Kovac really, I think, had, had lost the dressing room and, and wasn't tactically perfect for for Bayern either, certainly not by a long chalk in terms of his, his suitability. I mean, I think everything's changed in terms of the way that they play football. Kovac, I think, seems to be very focused on on the defence and, and how Bayern played without the ball. Didn't really go down well in a side or a club that has been focused on possession for the last 10 years or so. And I think now you can see, I mean, a better structure in possession, certainly. The structure's changed a little bit. I mean, for a while, uh, Flick came in and was using either Thiago or Kimmich in the as a sole holding midfielder. Now it's generally both of them in a 4-2-3-1. I think that's given them control in the centre of the pitch. And also more intense pressing without the ball. I mean, that's just obvious when you watch uh, when you watch Bayern play. That wasn't something they were doing well under Kovac. I think the stats back it up in terms of they were winning the ball more often in the final third and in the opposition half. It just looks a better all-round side. And maybe Rafa can, can speak about this more than me, but I think a more united dressing room as well. It certainly has been a really good start for Hansi Flick at Rafa. Not someone I knew a huge amount about before his appointment initially as a caretaker or an interim manager. What is his background in the game? So he's actually a former Bayern Munich player, but not one that uh, ever reached the heights of the game. Um, he played alongside uh, Lotto Mateus in the mid-80s. Um, uh, in a team that uh, was decent, but not, not not one of the great Bayern Munich sides, perhaps. Um, he was a holding midfielder, a water carrier. Uh, quite curious, I think a lot of these type of players make good managers. Uh, of course, he rose to fame a little bit as the assistant of Joachim Löw at the 2014 uh, World Cup, which was a big success, and he had a, played a ma major role in that, um, having urged or having been able to convince Joachim Löw to spend a lot more time thinking about set pieces. Uh, Löw considered set pieces slightly beneath him. He felt that uh, there was more work to be done in possession and actual playing. And Germany, uh, as a result, um, had big problems to score, but also to when it comes to conceding and uh, in tournaments. And he really 
helped change that and, and write that. And I think what, what singles him out that Bayern or what, what explains the turnaround uh, of Bayern's fortunes is, is, of course, the tactical side that Michael talked about. But also, I think his connection with the players is a very good one. He is somebody I think they like to listen to, they respect, who has a way of talking to them uh, without uh, perhaps feeling threatened and being in a in a position where he has to prove his authority by you know being extra harsh or by doing things in public that that backfire Kovac certainly was suffering from those sort of lapses of judgment and uh, as a result it's a, just a much happier place uh, and a team that I think has reconnected with its own tactical identity uh, and there is a reason why Bayern have been doing really well and he has been putting them back on that path where where they're happiest at. Yeah, man management, of course, absolutely crucial, uh, especially with these big sides full of superstars, uh, as much as tactical proficiency. But uh, on that note, it's been suggested recently online, I've seen that they are one of the most effective, high-pressing teams uh, in in all of European football and therefore in German football as well. So clearly uh, he's got these players to buy into to that style, working very hard, uh, often at the top end of the pitch as well, to win the ball back. Yeah, I think if you combine possession with pressing and you do both well, then there are few teams that can live with you. The problem was that under Ancelotti and then to a certain extent under Jupankis in his fourth spell at Bayern and then continuing with Kovac, Bayern had kind of lost their precision. And if you don't press with precision, if you don't play possession game with precision then you basically just kind of rely on individuals coming up with certain things of their own account and of course Bayern having so much quality could basically still win the double uh, doing just that as they did last year but we saw how they were really um, humiliated almost by Liverpool how it wasn't good enough uh, against real top class opposition now that they have much more structure back and Thomas Müller um, compared it to having a shopping list rather than just heading to the supermarket, grabbing anything you <laughs> like to see that might, might look tasty. They are an amazing side. And Müller, is, I think, is the epitome of that because he can only work when Bayern play a pressing game. You know, when you want Müller being deep and being miles away from the opposition goal, he is, hasn't got the pace, he hasn't got the, the, the quality to, to run past players, to do much by himself. If Bayern dominate the game deep into the um, opposition half and press really high, win the ball back quickly, then he can be really, really effective. And there is absolutely no doubt that he has come back to his best because the system now allows allows players like him to be doing what they do best. And that's been that's been really the key for the turnaround of Bayern's fortunes. My understanding of of Müller and his and his role and his. Uh, efficiency was generally uh, down to to goal scoring. That that Raumdeuter word that that was popularised, I suppose, because of Müller and, and taken on uh, by Football Manager to to help many people understand it. But it's it's assists. He's the assist king this season. Sixteen assists uh, in the league this season and six goals. Is, is that something that's happened quite quickly, or has that been a, a, a sort of general development of his game, perhaps as as his lack of pace has become more pronounced? I think it's a result of two things. He's been playing in in wide positions quite often, uh, which is not his preferred position, but he can play there, especially if he has help from the fullbacks, if he has help from one of the two midfielders, which kind of help him when they occupy the the half spaces and then 
he has done room to to maneuver even if it's only over five six yards because he's not going to you know be able to do much by way of carrying the ball um and the other thing is that that you know playing behind Lewandowski you almost want him to be assistant because you know that if the ball does get to Lewandowski in the box there's a very high percentage chance he will score so having Müller behind him as a sort of a nine and a half um, player is is really ideal especially a Müller who um, has I think found his own confidence back um, alongside with the rest of the team one more thing I would would uh, would mention is if you saw uh, him play against Chelsea where I think it was the 88th minute and Bayern were 3-0 up. He was still uh, waving at players to come forward to press Chelsea in their own boxes. They were building up from a goal kick. And I think that moment really clarified his position in this team. He is he is somebody that, that does a lot of stuff that is not seen when it comes to talking to players, um, getting them to do the right thing. And this is still uh, a team that is not fully fully developed, I think, in many ways. It's still a team that is perhaps emerging with some of the younger players uh, trying to to do what uh, the, the greats before them had done. You know, Gnabry trying to get where, where Ribéry and Robin was, for example. So having somebody like him to push them and guide them forward is really, really influential. Well, it's an incredible run that they were on before the suspension of football and English football fans know all about it. Tottenham and, and Chelsea have uh, had a, a pretty good uh, experience of exactly what Hansi Flick's team are like at their best. And, and Michael, in terms of the return of the Bundesliga this weekend, they're up against Union Berlin. Uh, they really got your juices flowing when we were researching this pod. You were desperate to talk about Union. Uh, why so? Well, two reasons. I mean, one, I think is the game I'm most looking forward to just because I really like that kind of Sunday afternoon slot. And a lot of the Bundesliga games obviously are going to be uh, Saturday mid-afternoon, which just feels very odd for us to be watching our TV at that time in uh, in England. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I mean it's Bayern's first trip there. Um, Rafa has, has written a lot about Union Berlin and their their ride to the Bundesliga for the first time and they're kind of plucky underdogs in many ways and I think that's reflected in their playing style. Um, I mean, just look at the basic numbers. Everyone else in the Bundesliga wins between 12 and 20 aerial duels per game. Union are up on 28. Uh, they've made the most fouls. They've scored the fewest goals in open play. They play the most long balls. It's, you know, a, a proper kind of test of, you know, if you're the if you're the side looking to win the championship, is this the kind of place you've got to go and get three points and maybe dig in a little bit? Um, but despite all those stats, I mean they're doing really well. They're up in mid table, not really any danger of relegation. Um, but yeah, they play a, a fairly simple style of football. Sebastian Anderson's been one of their stars this season. A big Swede up front, or maybe more of a tall Swede. I think he's more tall than he is big. Um, and Christopher Trimmel, the the right wing back, has. Got a succession of assists, uh, usually from set pieces, usually headers for, uh, usually goals headed in by Anderson. So yeah, it's is not the glamour tie of of the round, but it's certainly one that I'm looking forward to. Eleven goals in in just over two thousand minutes in the league for Sebastian Anderson, which for for any promoted side is a hell of a return. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how much he can disrupt the Bayern back line or or how much Bayern's press causes problems for Union Berlin. Uh, Rafa, let's move on to some of the other teams, some of the other fixtures that we can look forward to watching this weekend. Uh, Dortmund in second, they're four points off Bayern. Uh, They are the favourite German team, I think it's fair to say, of of many non-German football fans with Haaland and Sancho especially uh, catching the 
headlines in the few months before football stopped. Uh, what's this Dortmund side like? How does it compare to uh, other reference points for us like Klopp's Dortmund or, or Dortmund sides of the last few years? So this is a Dortmund side that um, have some fantastic quality in the final third. I mean, their, their attacking array and the depth that they have is, is quite something. Um, you know, you, you only have to, to think about somebody like Mario Götze basically be just not being a factor because there's too many players ahead of him. Um, even Giorena at 17 now um, gets games ahead of Mario Götze. So you have six or seven really fantastic players for those positions um, where they have struggled to really make all that potential gel together is the balance. And it's often been a factor of not enough protection from the back four, having a midfield that is uh, not really perhaps strong enough to win those uh, important uh, situations in, in midfield when you're a little bit exposed and when it's 1v1. And they've been hugely improved by the addition of Emre Chan in, in the winter break. Unfortunately for them, for this particular game against Schalke, neither Witzel uh, nor Chan. So both of their number sixes are both out. Uh, they have muscular problems. So that would put huge pressure on whoever comes in. It might be Julian Brunt in a deeper role. Um, you know, physically, his, he might well be uh, struggling, but technically he is, he is fantastic um, against the likes of uh, Western McKenney on the other side uh, or more Dahoud. But Dortmund will, I think, be more vulnerable and will have a harder time providing those providing sort of those supply lines to the final third while keeping uh, enough protection for the back four, which makes this game very, very open and very, very interesting. So this podcast is sponsored by Harry's. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, just two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality. So they bought their own factory. And now by taking less profit... Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close and comfortable shave. That is a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I have grown a terrible lockdown beard and I'm currently awaiting my Harry's blade so that I can get rid of it, which will be very popular for anyone who actually has to see me. Uh, but as a listener of Zonal Marking, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including that razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. All you have to do is go to harrys.com forward slash zonal right now. That's harrys.com forward slash zonal. That sounds like a pointed viewing, I think, this weekend. Um, and Michael, just in terms of Dortmund uh, up against Bayern for the title race, I mean, the, the pure numbers for Dortmund are absolutely ridiculous. Sancho with 14 goals and 15 assists in 1,800 minutes. Haaland, of course, with nine goals in, in just over 500 minutes in the league. I mean, absolutely astonishing stuff. What are the key tactical, stylistic differences between Dortmund and Bayern? Well, I think there's a, a familiar kind of stylistic contrast, if you like, that you can kind of trace back to, you know, the, the 2013 Champions League final, for example, when they 
were obviously the two sides involved at Wembley and there was quite an obvious mismatch between you know Bayern's more reserved possession play and and Dortmund playing a little bit quicker a little bit more uh, ruthless at transitions I think that still kind of persists I mean I've been looking at the the the, uh, the stylistic differences for an article this week with Tom Warville, who's been on this podcast a couple of times before, and in particular looking at how the sides progress the ball, how they get it forward, and they just play completely differently. I mean, for Dortmund, it's generally down the flanks with Guerrero and Hakimi, who have been playing as wing backs and, and popped up with a lot of assists from both flanks. The players in the centre that Rafa's just mentioned tend to be quite cautious with the distribution and play the ball solidly out wide. Bayern are very different. I mean, the incision comes from, to a certain extent, Kimmich when he's been playing in there, but really from Thiago, who I must say I was amazed to look at him and see he's now 29, has uh, has had his birthday during this uh, lockdown because I still think of him as a player who's got so much more to give. And I mean, I know regular watchers of the Bundesliga and Bayern in particular will will you know, say about how consistent he is and, and how cultured he is in possession. But I must say, when I saw him breaking through at, at Barcelona and made that move to Bayern, I really thought he'd be a player who would be dominating major tournaments and, and being man of the match in Champions League semi-finals and things like that. And we haven't yet seen that from him. I, I still think that he's the type of player who might mature a little bit later and, and maybe come into his own in his 30s. But certainly in the Bundesliga for Bayern, he's, he's the main playmaker and someone who really does a bit of everything in the midfield uh, engine room. I managed to catch one of those beautifully specific uh, Twitter compilations. Uh, Lord knows who puts them together and how much time it takes. But it was just Thiago uh, taking an amazing first touch in busy midfield areas and creating space for himself. And uh, that was enough to get me uh, pretty excited about watching him play this weekend. Uh, Rafa, in historic terms, going back to Dortmund against Schalke, it sort of feels, it looks like the big game of the weekend. Is it the, the biggest derby in German football? Yeah, easily. I just wanna, was going to say, I hope it didn't have one of those heavy metal soundtracks that some of these <laughs> German compilations seem to come with. Um, it would have been, wouldn't have been the right one for, for Thiago, I think. But um, it is absolutely the biggest game in German football. I mean, you could argue, or you would argue, that Bayern Dortmund has been the most meaningful game as far as titles, trophies, etc. is concerned. But Dortmund Schalke is the one that generates the most emotion. Um, it's the whole region uh, that is affected by their game, the whole Ruhrport area. These guys are only 30 minutes apart from each other as far as the two cities are concerned. And throughout this area, which is sort of a metropolitan cluster of, of cities, people who are Dortmund fans and Schalke fans would mix in every single factory office, shop, you would find um, fans from both sides. And the the sort of emotional pull of that game, the love-hate relationship between those clubs, nothing, I think, com- comes quite as close, which in a way makes it a little bit of a sad and slightly strange occasion that we won't see the fans, we won't see how this game will immediately affect people. It'll be an invisible impact, if you will. And I think a lot of fans are um, a little bit sad that, you know, they will have to follow the game by themselves or maybe with one or two members um, of their own household. I think you're allowed to meet one friend now in Germany, but certainly not get together and, and do justice to the game's importance. But still, I think having talked to uh, two fans for a piece that I'm writing for the article, um, they they expect to be less affected than usual 
but I think they couldn't quite exclude the possibility that they would still be very, very happy and very, very sad, respectively, if their team were to lose. So uh, with all the drawbacks and the, the weirdness of it, I think it's still going to be the game that, that all of Germany will be tuning in on Saturday. Absolutely. Well, it looks like we can expect some more content from you uh, over the weekend, before the weekend, after the weekend on the Athletic site, uh, theathletic.co.uk forward slash Bundesliga's back for 40% off your annual subscription if you are not already a subscriber. And Michael, let's talk about the team in third place, the team from Leipzig, of course, creeping towards the very top of of German football as they are and with a very interesting manager, uh, Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, We know a fair amount about him. The one thing I'm still confused about is how he never seems to get any older, still just 32 years of age, which is astonishing. I can't quite get my head around that um how, how have they been this season what are they like as a, a tactical team to analyze yeah i agree with you about the age i mean i was uh i was actually going through some old magazines when i was some, clearing some stuff out and there was uh an article i found about him from 2016 and they're still talking about him in the in the same terms as we are now yeah i mean they've had another another very good season i wonder if it might end up being a kind of what might have been season in part because they were probably the better side in the nil-nil with Bayern in February. Had they won that, then they would have been looking seriously good for you know a, a real title challenge. They probably also didn't expect that Bayern's change of manager would be quite so effective, and and that's just bumped up the the kind of points total required to win the league. But yeah, I mean they're a brilliant side. They're they're so tactically advanced and so flexible and so uh, fluid in in whatever system they play that actually it's actually difficult to to keep track of them unless you watch them every week. I mean, they're just, I don't think I've ever seen a, a side that is so capable of playing so well in so many systems. Obviously the star has been Timo Werner up front, who's had another really good season. Well, probably his best season. In fact, um, I think he's now looking like a bit of a, an all round forward more so than he used to. I think he's, he's become better at dropping deep. He's still very good at going in behind the defense. We know about his, uh, his searing pace, um, and plenty of speculation as well that this could be his last period at Leipzig with, with lots of Premier League sides involved. But yeah, they, I mean, they're a really fantastic side to watch. They're very dynamic. They're, I think, what we've come to expect from German football in many ways. Um, and yeah, obviously, uh, maybe the most interesting young manager in, in Europe. You know, as I say, we've been we've been talking about that for, for a while, but I, I still think it's... Uh, is true with their performance this season. Absolutely. They're at home to Freiburg this weekend, Saturday afternoon game. Uh, Rafa, one point behind them in the table uh, are Borussia Mönchengladbach. Are, are they still in a title race? I mean, Michael actually flagged it yesterday when we were talking about this, that they're only one point behind Leipzig, six points off the top. And yet, according to the bookmakers, they're about... 10 times as likely to win the thing. So there's obviously something we're missing here in terms of a, a glad back title push. I think they're just seen as as not quite consistent and strong enough ultimately to keep pace with, with Bayern and Dortmund. I mean, we saw them lead the table for eight or nine weeks in the first half of the season when Bayern, as we said, were struggling, when Dortmund were also not quite as, as balanced as perhaps they have been in 2020. Um, but for them to win games... 
you need to see them play at sort of 100%. They need to defend really well. They need to take their chances. There's very little room for error because they don't have the depth necessarily um, in real quality. They have they have good players, so it, the quantity is there to absorb injuries. For example, Dennis Zakaria, a key player for them, is not going to be with them for a few weeks. Um, a real powerful midfield player who will attract a lot of interest, or is already attracting a lot of interest. But um, you never really see them sort of managing games and running away with it just having played at 80 or 90 percent and I think ultimately it's going to be just too difficult for them to keep pace with a Bayern and Dortmund that play anywhere near their own limit if Bayern and Dortmund for for whatever reason and Leipzig uh, struggle and we see them sort of come out really slowly out of traps then maybe you can create a scenario where uh, Gladbach take full advantage as they did in the first half of the season but it's it's a difficult one I think to suggest especially when there's no European football I think they would have been one of the beneficiaries in the second half of the season having been knocked out in the Europa League with everybody else still involved ahead of them Uh, now of course uh, that advantage has gone and I think it's going to be tough for them to really be among the top three top four I think is the best they can hope for. Hey, Rafa, we can't move on from Gladbach without mentioning Marcus Chiram, uh, son of Lilian Chiram. And not just that, but a very different type of player. And from the looks of what I've read over the last few days, uh, a really good one for listeners to keep an eye out in their game this weekend. An exciting attacking player. Yeah, really exciting. I mean, he's one of those attacking players who gets the ball quite a lot, likes to link up a lot, likes to sometimes uh, attack players with the ball from the wings. Uh, A bit of a hybrid between a centre-forward and a winger, but a powerful one, not a little nifty, um, you know, dribbling one. Uh, Does need a bit of space to be best effective, does need to game to be quick. You don't want him necessarily uh, with a back-to-goal or up against uh, some deep rows of defenders. But if Borussia Mönchengladbach can uh, create that bit of verticality that they that they need in their game, um, and which they've done quite well to to introduce that element under Marco Rosa, um, you will see him score goals. And he is, he is just an exciting player. You want to watch him. You enjoy watching him on the ball because you think things might happen. So uh, definitely one to watch out. But there are, there are other players in this, in this Gladbach team uh, that I really like Florian Neuhaus is one of those up and come up and coming young German players, a little bit in the uh, in the Weigel mold, but perhaps more um, effective going forward. Scores a lot of goals uh, from Lampert type situations, joining up late with the with the attack. Um, there, there's some really good players and a great manager, Marco Rosa, at this team. Exciting, really exciting. And the fact that he was born, Marcus Chiram, in Parma, because that's where Liliane was at the time playing for that iconic Parma side as well, just makes it all the better. Uh, what about Leverkusen? They are one spot back from Mönchengladbach. Uh, I'd like to know how Peter Bosch is getting on at Leverkusen. I may have absolutely murdered that pronunciation. Um, But, you know, it it didn't work out for him when he moved to Dortmund from Ajax. He had a year out the game. uh, And now he's 18 months or so, I think, into his uh, Bayer Leverkusen career, his stint as manager. Uh, How do you... How do you suggest his time there is going and has gone so far? It's going really well. I mean, he was a huge success um, second half of last season when he really changed... um changed Leverkusen's uh, season around. They qualified to the Champions League thanks to that form they picked up. And there are still dangers with this game because it's so um, risky as far as the pressing, as far as being really high up the pitch is concerned. And often you you look at this Leverkusen back four and think 
they're not really made to win those one-to-one duels and you have to protect them a bit better. But Bosch is Bosch and he's not going to change. What has changed for Leverkusen is that Edmund Tapsoba, a Burkina Faso international, who joined them from uh, Guimaraes in, in uh, I think it was the 1st of February, they have found someone who actually makes those one-way situations look very comfortable. Um, it might be overblown, but in terms of the impact he's had on this back four, it's been really se- seismic. And I would say he has been their sort of mini early version of Virgil van Dijk, just in terms of steadying them and making them look so much more comfortable. And then when you have that bit of comfort and that bit of a security, sense of security at the back, when it comes to playing and when it comes to going forward, I think Leverkusen are up there with Bayern and, and Dortmund in the excitement stakes. They're more expensive than, than Leipzig. They like to th- throw men forward. And they have that a wonderful deftness and, and beauty and elegance of Kai Havertz, who is the crown prince of German football. And you just love watching him. And I think one of the best thing about uh, the Bundesliga being back now is that with fewer games to distract you from other leagues, you really will be able to see Kai Havertz. Uh, Kai Havertz on the f- cusp of becoming a superstar will be a joy to watch in this Leverkusen team. Is Havertz, uh, in terms of, you know, as you say, the crown prince of German football, is he on a well-trodden path to becoming a Bayern Munich player? Or can you give some some hope to, to fans of other clubs across Europe who, who might be interested in this uh, young superstar? I think it's still the most likely destination for him because he is so young to go to Bayern first and then make the next step up to uh, uh, a club abroad. Um, there's a lot of comparisons being made with uh, Michael Balak and Mesut Ozil, uh, he himself declared uh, that he saw himself as a as a mix, as a combination of the two of them. And um, I think he's right. Uh, what those two did, of course, was also to have a, a fairly gradual um, development, uh, first moving a couple of times or moving once inside uh, the Bundesliga in, in Ozil's case and then uh, making that step, that next step forward. But there is absolutely no doubt that we will see him dominate the German national team in the next decade when uh, when Tony Kroos retires. Uh, there's also no doubt that he will improve any side he plays for. And the only problem or the only um, vagary in, in this equation is we don't know, don't know how the transfer market will be impacted by, by the coronavirus crisis because otherwise I think we would have found quite a few clubs happy to pay the 100 million euro plus valuation uh, that Leverkusen have put on him. As it stands, I think it'll be a little bit more difficult. And then they have to make a decision, keep a Kai Havertz who really wants to leave this summer or um, sell him for perhaps a fraction of his real value once football and the rest of society rebounds maybe in a couple of years at a time. So it's a tricky one. Do you like beer? Do you like it free? How about free beer? As a valued listener of the Zonal Marking Podcast, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from all across the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash zonal and cover the postage of just £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener of Zonal Marking, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 beers total. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries that planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. 
Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. So far, the themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer that money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Don't worry. Choose the light plan easy. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash zonal to get your case free. And don't forget right now, our listeners get two extra free beers. Absolutely. We've touched on the top five so far. There's actually a 10 point gap between Leverkusen in fifth and Schalke in sixth place. Uh, Looking at the table as a whole outside of the top five, who would you say to people tuning in for a Bundesliga marathon this weekend are some other interesting sides that we should be watching out for, Rafa? I mean, the most interesting sides are in the top. I think that there is no denying that. But you have teams that try to do interesting stuff. I mean, Schalke are interesting, A, because you have in David Wagner, somebody who tries to do a job of a similar size as Jurgen Klopp has done at Dortmund, uh, meaning that not just stabilise a team that was flirting with relegation last season, I think it's easily forgotten, but also trying to create that positive momentum and that real transformative effect that Schalke have been crying out for. You know, they've been looking over at their more successful neighbours with real envy over the last decade or so. And they've tried to get managers in to do a similar job that uh, that Klopp has done. And they failed. And they're really hoping that Wagner can be that guy. Uh, the first half of the season was very, very good. But they were perhaps overachieved a little bit in terms of results. Second half has looked quite sluggish and a little bit pedestrian. Because the quality isn't quite there to play a more aggressive football um, that results in, in goal scoring opportunities but whatever happens to Schalke will always be interesting and uh, then you have the likes of, of Wolfsburg who otherwise wouldn't be in the conversation uh, they've been a little bit defensive under their new um, coach uh, Glasner who, who joined them from Lusk one of the most interesting sides in, in, in Austria last year when he was there um, but they have some good players in Wout Weghaust one of the best uh, strikers uh, of the league you know he's he's growing into himself uh, they have Roussillon as well, who's a great player. And uh, I mentioned him because I think it'd be interesting if without stadiums being full anywhere, we will see teams and uh, respond to them in a different way and can just see the players rather than the club and the fans or the lack thereof. And I think if you just want to see the team play um, and kind of forget about all the surroundings, then Wolfsburg actually would be one of the teams that will maybe benefit sort of from that strange purity of of having uh, no 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 people around because they would be interesting to watch and um Frankfurt I think is the what is the first one uh, third one I mentioned they're not quite the same power going forward after losing Rebic and uh, Haller and and Jovic but they have good players really good players Pacienza um, being pro- perhaps the most interesting one in attack and they love to play really good stuff. And they would have benefited, I think, from having that bit of a breather because they looked absolutely shot uh, before Christmas. 
And um, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually put some real pressure on Schalke and maybe one or two, two teams around them and make, make that push for a Europa League place once again. Big one for you now, Coxie. Uh, more of a general question about tactics in the Bundesliga. Give, give the listeners who are tuning in this weekend a sense of the tactical feel of the division. I suppose even in asking that question, I wondered to myself, can we uh, sum up a whole division tactically? Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, at the turn of the year, when it was uh, the end of the decade, I, I looked at some stats from the five major leagues across Europe over the last 10 years. The interesting thing about that was that the, the Bundesliga's goals per game rate is just so much higher than anywhere else. I mean, the other leagues, it's between 2.5 and 2.8. Last season, the Bundesliga it was 3.2. This season, I think, is slightly higher, 3.25, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's more it's more open. I think teams try to push up and they leave a little bit more space in behind. I think the, the nature of chances is a little bit different. There's a, a higher conversion rate in the Bundesliga compared to other leagues, which is... Not necessarily because the players are all better at shooting, but I think really because the players are getting chances in, in different situations. And yeah, I mean, it's almost become a little bit of a cliche to talk about German football in this way, the same way that we used to talk about, you know, German efficiency as being a cliche 20 years ago or so. But there's an emphasis upon transitions, on turnovers, on counterattacks. And despite the fact there's been a lot of managerial changes amongst the top sides, that's remained. And I think that's remained because... There is a almost very deliberate German culture, you know, as Rafa's written about extensively, particularly in one of his books. There was a kind of sit down and have a chat about what we want German football to be and, and the, you know, the biggest teams in particular. But throughout the league, in fact, still playing that way. And, you know, it's not like the Premier League where Conte comes and we say we can play through at the back and Klopp comes and we say, OK, actually, you can counter press and Guardiola comes and we work out that you can play possession football. I think there's a, a more long term defined style with the German league. And I'd say that probably is more obvious in the Bundesliga than any other league in Europe at the moment. Well, it will be fascinating to watch it play out this weekend. So many individual players mentioned on this podcast that I am now more than ever excited to watch play and plenty of teams touched on as well in terms of tactical approach, managers, etc. Great to give the Bundesliga the Zonal Marking Podcast treatment ahead of its return this weekend. And, and thank you very much, Rafa Honigstein, for giving us your time and, and obviously your expertise as well on this topic. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to reading your breakdown of what happens this weekend on the Athletic site, theathletic.co.uk forward slash Bundesliga's back. It's got its own promo code and it'll give you 40% off your annual subscription. Michael, I know that because of Rafa's very presence in the athletic stable, the Bundesliga is, is not something that you are, are really asked to cover much, but I'm, I've no doubt that you're pretty excited to watch some uh, some some top five European League football this weekend, shall we say? Yeah, I very much am. Yeah, as you say, um, we had Rafa from the start of the season and James Horncastle for Italy and Dermot Corrigan from Spain have, have only joined in the last couple of months. So, yeah, my task was focusing a little bit more on Syria and La Liga when required. So looking forward to diving in with a bit more Bundesliga. Absolutely. Well, that's been the Zonal Marking Podcast this week. Please do make sure that you subscribe. All of the Athletics podcasts are free and there's plenty of them. They're also available ad-free on the Athletics site. So 40% off your annual subscription if you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Bundesliga's back. And we'll be back again next week with a fresh topic. Another look at something interesting across the world of football on the Zonal Marking Podcast.